I mean, that's the other absurdity that it has fun with, right? That she's saying sweet nothings to a fly, yeah. right? Yeah, you know, she has precisely the opposite kind of conversation that we would normally have with a fly. Yes. Welcome to Totally Pretentious, a podcast about great movies. I'm David. And I'm Sean. And on today's show, we'll discuss Iga, a 2012 Telugu language fantasy comedy written and directed by S.S. Rajamuli and starring Sudipa, Nani, and Samantha. So, David did this. This is David's movie. It's your fault, David. It is. I take full responsibility. You better. I regret nothing. (laughs) You regret nothing. Not at all. Before we get to that, uh, this is a friendly reminder that if you have any thoughts or questions for us, you can obviously send us uh, messages at skiffingfanny.com slash listener suggestions. Um, we usually do mailbag episodes and things like that. Uh, and also, I'm sure David and I would love to hear from people who have opinions about this movie. You know, you are presently like a fly on the wall. No, I don't get, I don't get a giggle for Arr. that. Come on. Arr. Arr. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Fine. Anyway, yeah, send us messages. We would love to hear from you. So uh, this is an earlier film by uh, S.S. Rajamuli, who uh, has uh, really come to prominence in the West in the last year with the huge success of RRR. It's essentially a superhero film in which uh, we have a a young couple played by Nanny and Samantha who uh, meet, fall in love. We've got the the usual meet-cute shenanigans. But the evil businessman Sudipa is also in love uh, with her, and he, um, well, uh, has Nanny murdered, who subsequently uh, is reincarnated as a fly and comes back for revenge and gets his revenge in all the ways that a fly can, and in probably in quite a few that a fly can't, but does it anyway. And he has a rocking theme song. Yeah, it's literally just Iga, Iga, Iga. <laughs> No, oh no, it's more than that. My name is Nanny. I'm coming at you like a, into your heart like a nuclear missile. Uh, the, uh, the the whole bit. It's uh, it is beyond catchy. Plus, it's got a great dance number. I at the very end, the fly does in fact have a full blown dance number with backup fly dancers. Yeah, so awesome stuff. <laughs> it's, I mean, I guess I I should have expected it. That there was going to be that, but I was not expecting there to be a fly-based dance number, <laughs> like, at all. <laughs> well, and I think absolutely you should have, I mean, given that, uh, you know, as, as we know, the, uh, I mean, the, the, the dance numbers, you know, whether um, th- they're a, a, a fundamental element of, uh, of Indian cinema, um, it's only logical that our dance numbers in this are going to involve flies. I like how you could just casually say, oh, but it's totally logical, like, for that to happen. Well, yeah, it is. It is. I think, it, you know, it's, it's a film that um, absolutely plays out on the terms of its logic. It, you know, as it takes its logic into, uh, you, know, ob- you know, obviously, like, it leans very heavily into absurd extremes, but that absurdity is based on the logic of its premise. Yeah, cause I think you've you hit the nail on the head in terms of this is an absurdist movie. Well, it is, but you know what? I would also I will postulate that uh, it is 
I think a a breath of fresh air in the uh, the superhero genre, and there is nothing in this that is more absurd or ridiculous than the Western superhero movie of your choice. I mean, how is anything in here weirder than anything in, say, Ant-Man, to take the most obvious uh, close example? I've been getting a degree in quantum physics, and so I feel like Ant-Man is, is fairly accurate to our understanding of the quantum <laughs> realm today. No, that, Ant-Man in particular is absurd. I mean, it's a ridiculous concept. Yeah, yeah. but I mean, it, it picked, you know... How is um, uh, how David Banner or Peter Parker get their powers any stranger than how Nanny gets his? I mean, I think the big difference is that we're meant in in the the well, most of the modern American superhero movies. the The idea is that most of the time, people's powers come from some sort of scientific source. I, I'm putting big quotation marks around that because it's a lot of like fudging nonsense, but it's it's under the air that it's it's sort of like the Star Trek thing where like they just say a bunch of mumbo jumbo to make it seem like it's really sciency, but it's not really. Whereas this film is more like um, you know the handful of superhero films we've had that just lean into the fact that no, it's just fantasy. This this is rooted in reincarnation. I mean, that's literally what happens. He reincarnates as a freaking fly. We see his birth into fly form. I think the difference that I find here is that unlike with the American superhero film, when magic is or magic or gods or whatever are in, are the thing that does the the powers, it's always like part of some bigger grand narrative like you're you're like a reincarnation of a god or like you've got the power of the super hammer or whatever um or like you've got shazam or whatever or black adam who have all of this extra stuff whereas this one it's just like it he reincarnates he's a fly that's it there's no like added attachment to it it's just reincarnation's a thing that occurs this happened to him he happens to have gone down to like the bottom of the pecking order and that's it and then from there, it's just he's just proceeding to get his vengeance while also, I guess, sparking up a love affair with the absolutely stunning Samantha. So, yeah, it's it's just a little different because I think with the with, you know, if you think of something like Shazam, right, like he finds the like magic Shazam thing that gives him the super Shazam powers. There's no logic to it, but it's trying to make it seem more serious. And look how big and important it is. And this film is just like, no, nah, we're just making flies. And that's that's what's happening. Did you just tell me that the Shazam movies are trying to be more serious? In, in terms of the logic of why they have superpowers, yeah. It wants us to take seriously that a kid found some, like, fucking power ball or whatever in a, in a cave or something. I think you've actually been making my own point yes! for me uh, in making the, the Western film sound even more ludicrous than uh than this uh because the when you just said like the the air of science is 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 utter nonsense well, of course it right? is right i mean yeah. there is there is no remotely scientific um premise behind the idea that you know being bitten by a radioactive spider is going to give you powers that will never happen this is utter fantasy that is just got up in the clothing of 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 science david right? don't it will never no, don't take my dreams from me, okay? I want I want to get bit by a radioactive spider and get superpowers. I mean, there is this convention in uh, primarily, I would say, American films. Uh, we see it far less in um, uh, elsewhere, where there is this 
this this need to have a veneer of an explanation, no matter how ridiculous the explanation is, right? And and to somehow anchor that in quote unquote science, right? So the ants are fifteen feet long because of atomic radiation, uh, or the guy is very big and strong and green because of atomic radiation, or he has the powers of a spider because of atomic radiation. Uh, you 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 follow my, uh, my my drift here, right? And it's it's a kind of um, logic that is punctured uh, in some other American films, such as Tremors and the Birds, where there is no explanation for how these things are happening, right? And in fact, that the lack of explanation is, is shoved in our faces, much to uh, particularly, I think, for audiences of the birds, their discomfort, right? Because, wow, I want, the, I want an explanation, even if it makes no sense. And, uh, and, and the bird says, tough shit. And sometimes, like, having the explanation actually ruins it. Right, because exactly. by knowing right. why it happens, even if it makes sense, it sort of takes the mystery and the terror out of it, because now it's something I can understand. Right, but but sticking with the, the superhero uh, form, in, in many ways, the uh, I would argue that coming up, you know, it's saying that this magic actually has a scientific explanation makes less sense than if we just said, it's magic, right, or there are gods. But okay, so we, we, we have to go for this pseudo-rationalization. Uh, I, I don't see what the difference is uh, here with, okay, he's reincarnated. And as he said, we actually see his birth. So arguably, Iga is more rigorous in the application of the logic, right? It's playing with reincarnation, which is you know, not exactly a um, an outlandish concept in its cultural context. Sure. And goes with it, right? And and sort of plays out. And I think, you know, really does. I'm not kidding when I say it's rigorous in its logic. I think one of the great joys for me in the film is seeing it work out, okay, how exactly would a fly get revenge on a man? Right? And uh, one of the, the, some of the really hilarious moments uh, early in the campaign are when he does it exactly as a fly would. Right? You, you know how annoying it is when a fly is buzzing in your ear. Now imagine the fly is doing that on purpose, is waging psychological warfare, right? And the scene where uh, Sudipa is unable to sleep because he's being driven absolutely mad by this fly is a vision of hell uh, and one that we can actually connect to. It's like, yeah, I've had insects do, you know, you know, feel like they were doing this. And imagine if they actually were doing it, just how, what a monstrous experience that would be. Um, and so on the one hand, it's playing off, okay, this is how a fly would do it. And then on the other hand, the, uh, as we move further into the campaign, it takes the idea of, okay, now the fly needs tools. It needs like what any superhero needs, accessories, uh, and weapons. How is he going to get them? Well, fortunately, his girlfriend specializes in miniature sculpture. Why not? Right. Just like you know, every uh, Western superhero, it happens to know someone who knows exactly the tech that is needed uh, for uh, for their tools, unless they happen to have that knowledge themselves by coincidence. So he gets his little is uh, gets his little gloves, <laughs> he gets his little spear, he gets his little goggles. Uh, it's uh, it's as adorable as as Baby Yoda getting his accessories with his little mithril uh, <laughs> vest. <laughs> I do find this interesting that that it's not entirely out of the realm of possibility, the weapons that he does, in fact, get. Because the only thing that really pushes it is maybe maybe the spear, which is just like a needle, basically. 
because that's maybe a little heavy for a fly to actually carry. But oftentimes, like... He has the proportionate strength of a fly. Yeah. But mostly, like, the weapons make sense, and they do the exact amount of damage that you expect them to do on, on Sudeep, who is getting scratched uh, and eventually gets shot, which is awesome, and then blown up, which is even more awesome. But I also really appreciate just watching Sudeep increasingly go mad, and people yeah. around him just, at first, just sort of, like, going along with it, being like, oh, well, he's a rich guy, and he's just kind of eccentric. Until they finally find out, no, the fly actually is, like, coordinating to kill him. <laughs> and so they get involved. But, like, he, he basically turns his house into a airtight, <laughs> uh, like, you know, decontaminated area so the fly can't get in. Right? He's He shows up to his board meeting at one point in a biker helmet with gloves. <laughs> like... And they all, and, and like, everyone is like, what is going on? And everyone's trying to pass him off as like, oh, he's just into like, you know, he, he's like really into motorcycle racing, all these kinds of things, just to hide the fact that he actually is losing his mind. But he's losing his mind legitimately because he is actually being terrorized by a fucking fly, which is constantly buzzing around him, uh, messing with him, putting stuff in his food. There's one point when he, he like poisons him. Because he's just dropping the the poison pills into his, uh, is it like rat poison or whatever that he like puts there? Fly poison. He's just putting the pellets in Sudeep's uh, yeah. water and like attempts to poison him. Like it's just it's a long string of of things that are happening, and you can imagine being a person being terrorized by a fly, and nobody really believes you, and you go increasingly more insane because you are actually being terrorized by a fly. That is trying to murder you. I mean, it has some of the 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 rigorous logic, uh, the rigorous surreal logic of a Tex Avery cartoon, right? Uh, in in Looney Tunes, where you know a premise is pushed and pushed and pushed. You know, you know, we, it escalates. So the you know the uh, the, the dog whose whose uh, path is crossed with by a black cat, and then he you know throws, you know, but he's. Yeah, he had a lucky horseshoe, but he throws away the horseshoe, and then he's hit on the head by a falling horseshoe, and then four horseshoes, and then a horse, and then by the end, it's falling battleships uh, yeah. that, that are um, hitting him on the head, right? But it just, you know, that kind of, you know, push it, push it, push it, push it, right? And it's the same kind of thing here, but in, in a live-action world. And and everything you described there, too, right? Notice how the I think a lot of the pleasure uh, comes from is like, okay, we go from how would a fly wage war on a man, and then how would a man try to defend himself against a fly that is waging war uh, on him and then the people around him how would they react to this this perception right yeah like you said until very yeah, very late in the game they don't realize there really is a fly and here of course we have a parallel to uh the fly from 1958 right uh where you know Vincent Price um, and and company don't believe his sister-in-law until they find the fly with the human head. I think another early hilarious example is when um, Sudipa is trying to be all smooth and um, and pick up Bindu, and Nanny just keeps flying into his ear and throwing throwing him off a stride. Uh, he, you know, he just suddenly starts jerking around violently. Uh, and you know, to to uh, Bindu's perspective, it's like, what's wrong with this guy? Why is he behaving yeah. in this way? All right, and at which point he's still trying to to uh, throw it off because, as far as he's concerned, there's just a fly that's annoying him. But in a you know. 
but whose timing is absolutely impeccable. Yeah. So it it again it it does these two things of it 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 lays out it, the the logic of its universe and then follows that logic or or follows that argument to the nth degree and uh and so we eventually wind up with car crashes and explosions because she's talking to a fly other things happen because people don't realize that she's talking to a fly because she's being discreet so the example i was thinking of is specifically the (laughs) robber who like breaks into her house but thinks she's speaking to him and inadvertently she changes his entire life and he gets a job and he starts working and he stops <laughs> drinking and like <laughs> yeah and everybody else is in on this is like doesn't realize she's talking to a fly too so at the at the end when she's like i brought somebody with me and you're not gonna like it the priest thinks she's talking about this guy who he knows and we see by flashback is a drunkard who's doing all of these you know terrible things tries to rob the monument and all of this stuff and it's in fact the fly the whole time and i i find that little like bit of it's not misdirection but just clever play on the on the issue of the scale is is very fun it's straight up farce right it's the you know it's the old oh it's the misunderstandings like you know conversations at cross purposes it's very familiar stuff but in a very unfamiliar context. Well, and yeah, I guess I you, the natural reaction would never be to assume someone's speaking to an insect because no. that would why would, that would you seem nuts? Uh, what do you mean you're talking to the fly? What? What? Yeah, I mean, like, even in the realm of like pets, right? We talk to our pets even when pets yeah. don't like. I talk to my snakes; they literally can't hear me. Uh, they don't have ear- <laughs> they don't have ears, but. It would right. be extra weird if I were talking to an insect, and especially like a fly, uh, seriously. And rather than, I suppose it'd be more acceptable if we were talking about "I'm going to kill you," in which case. Yes, I was going to say I have I have uh, had violent words with insects in the past. One, <laughs> well, and then you could see where that misdirection could go in real life, where yes. I'm going to kill you. What do you mean, kill me? Yeah. <laughs> no, the fly. I meant the fly. <laughs> Though I suppose in that in that case, you would indicate I meant the fly. Not not you, because yeah. we would say that's an appropriate reaction. But if one is having more positive, and in this case, somewhat romantic conversations with a well, fly. Well, exactly. Yeah. 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 I mean, that's the other absurdity that it has fun with, right? That she's saying sweet nothings to a fly. Yeah. Right? You know, she has precisely the opposite kind of conversation that we would normally have with a fly. Yes. Well, and, and I think that the, it, because it never reveals to other people that that's what she's doing, we never actually have to have that uncomfortable moment. Like, the only person who has that moment is Su- Sudeep, who everybody right. thinks is like, why is he so obsessed with this fly thing? Like, it's just a f- even if there's a fly, they're like, it's just a fly. Like, what? what's the deal? So he's, he comes across as being mad, although we understand why he's going mad. But... There's that other element of if you if you were in a situation in in her case speaking sweet nothings to a fly, other people might start to look at her different. But it never crosses that line. It never lets other people in on it, which I think is very clever because it means we can have these fun little moments. But we also don't break the kind of romantic fantasy that's at the heart with with right. the narratives about uh you know the heroes being potentially perceived as. Uh, mentally deranged. So the villain desperately wants people to know that there is a fly. Yes. That uh, whereas the heroine has to keep people from knowing that there's a fly. 
Well, and yeah, it, it, that's exactly it. And for understandable reasons, because she knows how bananas it would seem, let alone yeah. all of the other things attached to the fly. Yeah, it's my, uh, the guy that I, I never really let know that I actually loved and he died too soon. Uh, it's actually him and I working together to get revenge on the guy that murdered him. Like, also, he's, <laughs> he signals to me with, like, his little fly sign language. You know, we, we communicate. We're sweet on each other. Like, yeah, there's just layers upon layers. There's a lot of explaining to <laughs> yeah, do there. Yeah, a lot of explaining. <laughs> Whereas I suppose with Sadiq, you can see rationally someone saying, like, this fly is driving me crazy. Yeah, well, we all say that at one yeah. point. Yeah, so that seems, it's just the extremes, right? There's a point at which, yeah. like, he seems insane because he's, like, building decontamination chambers and all of this stuff in his house and and motion sensors and, like, advanced cameras and all of this craziness in his house. It's He's taken it to that extreme so people can see him as, like, he's, he's falling apart because he's overreacting yeah. to something that is reasonably mundane and so now it becomes it is. a matter of believing the unmundane explanation for why that is and let's be real until the only reason people believe him is because they see video evidence of the fly communicating with bindu it's not because he <laughs> rationalizes it to them because he can't every time he tries to explain what's going on he sounds nuts he sounds like he's losing his mind because he is but but he is actually saying the completely correct thing. This fly's trying to kill me. Help! And people are like, "Okay, bud. Like, you need you need to go on vacation." <laughs> yeah. And again, I think the the early stages of that campaign. I mean, one of the I think things that that works I think so well with the escalation is that the early stages are so recognizable, right? We can completely relate to what's happening to him. It it's we've all dealt with this at one at some level. Yeah. Right. Uh, yeah. An insect flying into our ear. An insect that won't let us sleep. We know what that is. It's just uh, so. So he, he, the film takes something that we all know, that we all all experience, and then ramps it up. Yeah. Right. Uh, and so there's those certainly those early moments of um, of, of perhaps even shuddering in, in in sympathy with our bad guys. We oh no, I've been there. Yes, that would be so awful. Uh, but then you know certainly you know, by the time that uh, you know he's had his car wrecked, we've entered an, another level. Of, of persecution. Yeah. Well, and the, the levels to which Nani has to go to get access to him. Yes. You know, it, it stops being just, I'm flying and I'm messing with him. And, you know, the norm, like once the walls start going up, he has to like basically become a spy. It becomes almost like a spy thriller of like, how do I invade his area to get to him? And then they have to come up with these elaborate plots of how do we kill him? Like the, the thing that ultimately does most of the of the damage at the end is the the failed plot of the cannon because they figure they can get the cannon and then one of the guards like blocks the cannon so the guard does know that the fly is doing something yeah i'd have to look back at that scene yeah cuz so yeah cuz he's filling the cannon with all of the uh the the gunpowder right and he's put the thing in and that right. guard fills the cannon hole with a piece of paper Right. And so he can't use it until until it pops out at the very end when he Sadiq is is <laughs> torturing both of them, but especially Nani. 
and in very, very yeah. <laughs> scary fashion because he is way too excited about it. Although, I guess to be fair, he has been getting tortured for like months. So. Well, yeah. I, I mean, I suppose, I mean, I, I suppose were we in his shoes, we might feel the same. Yeah, a little bit. But yeah, so like, I, I found that really interesting. Like, they, they set this up, although there maybe is a bit of a break in logic there because it's the same guard that eventually comes to realize a fly is in fact communicating and trying to kill him. So maybe he should have known before, but maybe he just didn't believe. I don't know, whatever. But it's that that setup of the failed plot is the thing that ultimately does it. Yeah. And it's actually Sudip who causes it inadvertently because he's banging things around and knocks the, the paper out. The paper out, yeah. yeah. And then, of course, Nani lights himself on fire and uh, sets it off. Which is great because then you get that amazing CG sequence of the fire with the fly coming out yeah. of it, coming to get him, which is such a, <laughs> I was like, I wasn't expecting that. I thought it was just going to be an explosion, but like they had to take it that extra level, which I really appreciated, yeah. which is almost like the spirit of Nani as fly is coming for you. It was pretty good. So that, and your mention of this, of this, uh, of the CG, uh, I, I did want to touch on that too, because this is one of the things that I found so refreshing about the film was its use of, of CGI to uh, run with, again, the absurdity of its premise to give us these shots of a fly doing everything, and particularly that, that, that climactic uh, moment there. I mean, one of the things that I've, I've um, commented uh, in, in the past is that now that we're at a stage where particularly uh, blockbuster films can basically show us anything the sense of wow or awe or wonder or uh it seems uh much more thin on the ground i agree right? the you know it's okay yay it's another sky face sky beam sky hole whatever uh the you know if you think of the number of of you know 200 million dollar movies of late where you've seen something and gone wow that looks so cool rather than yeah that's nice if everything is special nothing special kind of kind of problem but there's a film like Iga shows you that, yeah, you know what? You can still do things with computer effects. And there's a, uh, there's a piece on RRR in the latest um, uh, cineast where, which points out that what um, SS Rajamuli does with computer effects is not to make things seem more real, uh, but instead to push them into a more hyper-real or surreal, uh, to make things more strange, right? So it's not meant to be convincing. Right. Uh, it's meant to be wild, right? Uh, and the scene you described is a perfect example of that, right? So, I mean, I found myself giggling with delight. Uh, I mean, when I'm talking about the lack of a sense of awe, I mean, I'm not, I mean, this is not the film where I'm going to go to, to get the, you know, the, the, the shiver down the spine that you get from, say, you know, watching the, the, the monolith orbiting around Jupiter while Ligeti plays on the soundtrack. Right. But still it is delivering this sense of, okay, I've never seen that. That was so cool. That was so fun. Uh, so you, you've said a lot of things there that I agree with, because I think that this film the thing that's the most real, if we could say "quote unquote" real, is more the the reactions of people, like watching Sudeep right react. Just you know, at the beginning, like a little bit annoyed, like "Oh, fly," and then like he's just like literally falling apart and just flipping out and trying to get this fly to leave him alone. We don't actually need to believe that the fly we're seeing is actually in the scene at that point. It's more like we need to just the visual reference 
that that we see the fly flapping about his head and that's right. enough. And it's the same with like we don't need to have photorealistic fly claws that he's clawing them with. We just need to see his reactions and then some shots just showing what's happening and that's kind of we yeah. get to like get lost in the scene. I didn't find that CG in this distracting because I think the absurdity of the premise already just meant I didn't need to worry about its realism. Like that that was Irrelevant. No. If you, you, you've either bought it or you haven't, right. right? From the moment that he's reincarnated as a fly, you're on board, or why are you watching this film? Yeah, yeah, pretty much, yeah. And and I I find that that this you know what you're talking about with CG is like my biggest problem. A lot of times with CG is sometimes CG is used like this, which is they pe- spend a bunch of money to do some effects, but like it's not meant to be real, real. It's just meant to be. For vi- to do things that you physically can't do with real cinema, like with with sorry, not real cinema. I meant like you know doing practical. This can't be done with practical effects. This movie, as as written, it's no. impossible. I mean, you could do it with animation of some kind, but you can't. You you need computer. I animation. was just gonna say it's it's more like what you would do in in a cartoon, yes. for instance, right? Like the uh, when we see Nanny's rebirth. I mean, do we you know? You know, we get to see every stage of that, and then the initial uh, danger of the water and the pebbles, and you know, again, every little thing worked out. And it's the you know, again, that that kind of you know, what would it be like if this could happen that we get in cartoons? And yes. so this is uh, CGI being used in that spirit. Yeah, I agree. This is more like a cartoon than it is like uh, what we would see in the blockbuster cinema in america for example right and i find that that's part of the problem with a lot of film now especially blockbuster cinemas you spend all this money and all these fancy special effects but we're trying to make it seem real but because everything's cg you can tell it's not and so for me it actually breaks that you know i i don't have that moment of the like jurassic park which we've talked about where Sometimes we have the right. animatronic head and then sometimes we have the CG shots and shadow. I can I can bridge the gap, but like I know the T-Rex isn't actually there, but like my mind can be tricked. Whereas I watch like another Marvel movie, sometimes the effects are very very good and they mask it very well, but sometimes it's like I could tell that was a, a special effects shot. It and the thing you did the special effect with wasn't just the superpowers, which I get you can't literally do. It was like the actual physical activity the characters are doing. And I'm now slightly removed from immersion. I'm not part of it anymore. Right. Well, if the entire film is shot with is green screened, then you know you, you lose something there. But I think too, your, your example of Jurassic Park is 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 a good one as well. And I, I think we we have touched on this before. But the the it's not just the let's say the realism or lack of realism of the effect. It's how it is presented, how it's delivered. Right. Yeah. So the Okay, the, the the dinosaur effects um, in the Jurassic Park franchise have continued to you know, progress at a technological level. How could they not, right? But there there isn't a single moment in the the, the later franchise. I mean, you you look at okay, the you know Dominion. Is there a single moment in there that comes anywhere close to the moment when Laura Dern and Sam Neill see the Brachiosaurus for the first time? No. Right. And that 
the the sense of of wonder uh, in there, and you can feel Dominion desperately reaching for uh, the, the the callbacks to the other films. Look, we're doing this. Look, we're doing this. Look, we're doing this. It's like, yeah, okay, so, you know, looking at my watch. Are we done yet? Yeah. All right. Uh, there 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 is nothing in that film that approaches that. So it's also it's you know again it's not just about technicians. It's about filmmakers. Yes. All right, and and you know, Rajamuli clearly is one a filmmaker. Yeah, I mean, in this way, like. On opposite ends of the spectrum in in the modern film, this is on the opposite end of where we have George Miller's Mad Max Fury Road in terms of visuals, which is uses lots of special effects, but to enhance existing shots. And this one is lots of special effects, but because it's not trying to be photorealistic and never pretends to be, uh, it's being cartoony, it's being absurd, it's being extra we don't ever have to get invested in the realism. If Mad Max Fury Road wanted to say this, look how real this is, but everything was CG. The second you can tell is the problem with Mad Max Fury Road. They're actually shots that I didn't even know had CG in them. And then I go and find out that half of it is shot in CG. It's just the middle bit that isn't. And I'm like, that's brilliant. Right. Whereas this is like, I know it's CG all the time, but I'm not, I'm not supposed it's to not be It's not pretending invested. to be otherwise. Yeah, I'm not, it, I don't have to yeah. worry about that. What I'm now looking at is, what is the story being told now? You're not trying to convince me this is literally real. You're trying to give me comedy. You're trying to give me interesting story beats. You're having Sudeep flip out and like wave his hands around, yeah. right? And you can ground that with a lot of very realistic elements that are not CG. Like the fact that he's covering himself in all of these clothes and like essentially armoring himself up. So the fly can't get into his helmet and all of this stuff, you know, that becomes more about like how the characters react to the CG is way more important than this, the quality of the CG itself. It's like the Lord of the Rings. When you watch their interactions with Gollum, that CG's aging and aging. It's getting worse and worse because <laughs> things have gotten better. But you you still invested because the way they react to this character feels real. And it's the same with, you know, w- the way Bindu reacts to Nani as Fly, the way Sudeep reacts to the Fly. Even when we have these sequences, when we see the Fly preparing for his next evil vindictive plan. Yeah. Right? We, we, we always are at that moment of like, I know it's not literally real, but the reactions feel grounded in the scene. Yeah, the reactions and the and, and and the presentation of of the effects, right? Uh, and I think the, your examples there are good. Or for that matter, you know, I noticed that you know uh, when I show King Kong to uh, my uh, my students, they still get emotionally invested in special effects that are ninety years old now, right? That's uh, that's a very long time in special effects uh, uh, technology. Yes, we we you know we well, I mean, yeah, the, the things have changed, but. It doesn't matter. The it's the investment in, in how those effects were used, the iconic character, the myth that was created uh, with them, right? So it's the it's it's the deployment that matters. You know the so uh, here, yeah, like you said, the, the the special effects aren't trying to be realistic, but if you know we 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 shouldn't expect them to be either any more than we should be sitting there going oh no coyotes can't use the US postal service they they wouldn't <laughs> be able to send away for products right you know yeah but within the 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 logic that has been presented to us of the story it makes perfect sense and it also it's inviting us to exult in 
this wonderfully strange idea uh, that you know that you know, you have not seen before. You haven't seen a superhero who really is a fly. You know, and and how would that work out? You know, or, well, let's let's just give him all the same gimmicks that uh, <laughs> that other superheroes have, except he's a fly. Except he's a fly. It is a fun movie. It's just it's freaking ridiculous, David. It's an utterly ridiculous movie, and I'm like, why did David pick this? I'm sitting here watching this and going. There's something, there's something here, right? Like there's some, uh, there's some like, he's going to bring some French theorist in that's going to be like Deserto or something, you know, and then we're going to have like, I don't think any of that's here. I, I feel like you picked this solely because it is a hoot. <laughs> like that's the reason. It's enormous fun. I think it's enormous fun. Uh, I think it, but I, like, I'm, I'm really not kidding when I say it's a, it, I mean, it, it is in some ways sui generis, but it also, I think, feels like an intervention. I, wait, I can only speak about our cultural context, sure. right? But seeing the, this film in our context really does feel like a breath of fresh air. It's like, oh, look, this is what you can do with this kind of a story. This is, you know, you, and you don't need $200 million. You can do something really fresh, really fun, really, it, uh, I found it was exciting. The action scenes... I was invested in them. I was hooting and hollering as, as as I was watching them, right? I was excited by this film in a way that a lot of other movies, I'm just going, yeah, okay, yeah, that was, you know, all right, that was nice. You know, that was fine. Uh, <laughs> you know, at least I had some popcorn. Yeah. I think it, it moves along really well. The characters are, are sketched out very quickly um, and efficiently, but, you know, enough to, to get us invested in them. And, you know, here I was, you know, really, really worried about a fly and if the fly was going to be okay. It does make you feel bad for the fly. I, I did not like the torture sequence towards the end. No, no, it was awful. It was awful. It was really horrible. <laughs> I was so glad when he got blown up. The, the guy, I was sad about the fly, but <laughs> yes. apparently he, he survived because he just came back. But he's back. He's back as a fly. So I'm guessing he, he's got some uh, karma to make up for because <laughs> he keeps coming back as a fly. The poor guy. <laughs> Well, I mean, I mean, technically, he did commit murder, I suppose. Uh, that's a fair <laughs> a point. He did murder a, a man. To be fair, the man murdered him first, so yeah. So it's you know, it's uh, so I don't know how that all balances out. That's uh, that's not my department. That's a fair point. Yeah, I would. I was trying to find some pieces that were talking about this, but most of what I found were academic works that were about like the representation of reincarnation in general. You know, like a variety where this would be like mentioned in a sentence, but not really discussed. And so I couldn't find anything that really helped me make sense of like the cultural context. I mean, I understand that that is a part of the of, of a belief system that's in that region, but that's well outside of either of our cultural experience because, yeah. R R Rajamuli himself has said that he's an atheist. So, uh, I mean, so this, you know, may simply have been. A useful narrative tool for very possible yeah but uh but again uh i don't you know the, the, the there's there's a lot going on there i mean you know contextually that um yeah neither of us is in a position to uh, comment on yeah it's, if anybody is who's listening maybe has some of that knowledge it'd be interesting if you could share some of that with us because i think i would like to know if this is doing as david suggests maybe it was just a convenient tool and it's part of his culture so he kind of just took something from the culture and just kind of took the idea and went with it into a story, or if there is some other cultural commentary going on that 
we just simply are missing because it's not part of our cultural context. I'd be curious. I did want to bring up, though, David, and you might find this very interesting. Um, there's a YouTube channel called Corridor Digital. Mm-hmm. They're all VFX artists, and they do VFX artists react. They also do stunt react VFX, and then they bring, like, an actual stunt person in to do stunt reactions and, like, legitimate stunt people that have, like, worked on major major films and stuff, um, including, like, Marvel films. Uh, but the the thing that they've done a few times is they've had... Some of the films they've covered have been Indian cinema, various various Indian cinema, because obviously there's a bunches of movies like this that have really bananas uh, special effects shots of a variety of forms. And I was thinking about as we were talking about the CG, some of the things that they've like shown, because there is something about like some of the special effects that are coming out of Indian cinema over the last like decade or so, where. The realism is literally the least important thing. It's it's all about kind of what you like the investing the people in the moment, right? Investing right. the audience by giving them something spectacular to watch. In some cases, totally and utterly absurd. Like having a guy like crash a motorcycle so he can fly through the air to kick another guy out of a helicopter to then like fly through a building and then land on the other. Like it just bananas yeah. things that we would not do in American cinema, except in parody, right? We might do it in parody. Whereas in, in a lot of these Indian cinema movies, while I'm sure there's plenty of parody and stuff, it does seem that sometimes they're just having fun and making really bananas shots for the fun of the shot. Like, you know, having the fly <laughs> fly around, stabbing him with his little weapons is mostly Mostly really, really fun stuff, I think, just to watch. It's, oh, yeah. 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 Well, yeah. Just when, when she's, you know, coming up with all of his tools, like, well, what's she going to come up with next? Yeah. Right. And uh, I think the, the, the goggles might have been uh, my, my favorite touch. Yeah. The, <laughs> that, the, the goggles or the gloves? The, I think the goggles are really clever. Of Like, how do we deal with being sprayed with bug spray? Goggles. <laughs> goggles. That's get the, the way to Get go. the fly some goggles. Yeah. So, <laughs> which almost become... His superhero mask. It does. And then, of course, after he's done, or he thinks he's done, he throws them away. He whips them off. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, and Sudeep is positively villainous. Oh, yeah. yeah multiple yeah. layers of it, including his uh, womanizing. Uh, he's cruel and mean. He's a crude businessman. Like, we don't really feel sorry for him because he is a monster. <laughs> We can uh, sh- shiver in in empathy uh, in in the stages and like when when things are happening to him that have happened to us, we can go, oh, that's awful. Even as uh, we're thinking, but you have it coming. Yeah, the way he kills Nani is really really horrible. Oh, it's awful. Yeah, yeah it's, I want it's to brutal. Feel your your life leave your body or whatever he says. Yeah, yeah. as he chokes him to death. It's horrible. Not a nice guy. No, he's not. He's a terrible monster. (laughs) But he's really good at pretending to be a nice guy, but only with women he wants to sleep with. Very, very oily smooth. Yeah. So we got got to close out here pretty soon, but I see in the little chat, David, that you think we should do some recommendations of things we've seen recently that folks should watch. Just to wrap us up and... uh... Maybe if, if we have a few ideas, just a few things that have crossed our crossed our our eyes recently that um, we might want to um, uh, give to folks as we sail off into the sunset. Okay. Well, I'll start off with uh, the boys. 
which is the TV series. The TV series. I freaking love the boys. Uh, I'm on season three at the moment, which is as screwed up as the other two seasons. Mm -hmm. But I really like it's sort of deconstructing in in a dark way the superhero genre, which I really appreciate because I I do feel like we've had enough of this superhero stuff where they're they're all good and fundamentally amazing people. And it's like, no, in our real world, they'd probably be corrupt. Maybe not quite as corrupt as the boys, but definitely be a lot of corruption. So I do appreciate that. I'm curious to see where season three goes. So I'll I'll give that one. People should check out the boys. Right. It's very violent. I just want to be clear. Yeah. <laughs> very vi- Bodies get blown up. Like, I don't mean like fire, like in this movie where he gets blown up and we just don't. No, I mean like exploded. Yeah, I haven't seen that myself. I read the first, uh, I think probably first dozen or so issues of the of the comic, but uh, I haven't caught up with the show yet. It's a little different than the comic, but not drastically so, but but a bit. So what do you got? What do you want to recommend? Well, um, I've got a, a few films that, uh, well, since horror is my um, is, is my field, uh, just a, a few horror or horror-related films. So, of course, the first film I'm going to mention is uh, Todd Field's Tarp, which... Uh, is is much closer to horror and has some outright supernatural elements than uh, most people have commented on. And it's a film that I have to say that has taken up permanent real estate in my head since I, I first saw it. A couple of others I would mention would be Joanna Hogg's The Eternal Daughter, which has an extraordinary dual performance by Tilda Swinton, playing uh, mother and daughter. Uh, Charlotte Colbert's She Will, uh, a uh, which has the, the magisterial Alice Kriege, uh, who for, for Jean... Uh, fans are probably most familiar uh, with her as the ghost in Ghost Story and the Borg Queen in First Contact. Oh, okay. Uh, this is certainly a, a horror for the, um, the, the the Me Too age, and um, and Creed is given uh, absolute central center stage here, uh, and does uh, incredible work. Uh, Valdemar Johansson's uh, Lamb, a very heartwarming and heartrending. Icelandic uh, horror film, oh. which is uh, much of it is very gentle, but it is going to rip your heart out by the end. And then just uh, jumping back a few decades uh, to 1963 for uh, Brunello Rondi's Il Demonio. If you had asked me prior to my seeing this film to draw a Venn diagram, uh, the intersection between Italian neorealism and Italian Gothic, I would have drawn two circles on two separate pieces of paper. But it turns out that Il Demonio is the completely unexpected intersection between those two apparently utterly disparate forms and um, is a very, very powerful uh, piece of work, uh, complete with a, a non-special effect created spider walk a full decade before they were shooting it for The Exorcist. Oh, really? I really like The Exorcist, although I can't watch that movie. It scares me. Well, this is there's a there's an exorcism of a kind uh, in here, but it's um, a very different film. Well, I mean, the thing with, of course, with uh, as some other films have done uh, with uh, in re- response to The Exorcist, though this is ten years before Rose Glass's uh, Saint Maud being a stellar example. That if you take the premise of The Exorcist, but if there is no supernatural, then what the exorcists are doing is monstrous. Yes. Right, so uh, just Franco's exorcism, Rose Glasses, Saint Maud uh, go down that particular disturbing path. Il Demonio is something else again, but where you know there 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 is no supernatural, but 
if everyone believes there is, including the supposedly possessed, where does this take us? Ooh, that's okay. I'll have to check that out. I hope it's on Shudder. I, I, I saw it as part of the All the Haunts Be Ours uh, folk horror collection put out by Severin. I will hunt it down. Don't worry. I I have still much horror education to go through, apparently. I, I can't keep up with you, David. <laughs> I can't keep up. It's I mean, right now it is another golden age of horror. There are so many new horror films, so many extraordinary horror films made by so many, uh, so many different voices all coming out, and I mean, it is such a joy to be unable to keep up with everything. Yeah. Every time I turn around, there's another extraordinary film. Uh, and so, we're, whereas many other genres are not necessarily very healthy right now in, in terms of, of cinema, boy, horror is doing really well. Not just uh, commercially, obviously, it's far and away the most profitable of, uh, of genres, but artistically, this is a period unlike uh, any I've, I think I may have seen in, in, in my um, viewing lifetime. It's, it's a, a, a really great time to be a horror fan. Yeah. So I don't know if we're going to get to do another film anytime soon. Maybe. I don't know. But I did want to torture you, David, a little bit. Okay. Somewhat like The Fly in Bring this it on. movie. And so I'm going to give you a choice between two movies. And you will get to choose right. between these two movies which one you would like to be punished with. Because I know you have opinions about both. Ah, uh, uh-oh. Okay. <laughs> one of them I think I know what one of them's is, going to be. One of them is 1999's The Mummy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Saw that. Yeah, felt that coming. The other is 1996 Independence Day. Oh, good Lord. Well, I mean, <laughs> so I have a choice. Well, the, the funny thing is, I have seen both more than once. Now, Independence Day, uh, you know, Bill Pullman's excruciating speech, uh, notwithstanding, uh, on on the whole is... No, hold on. Not excruciating. One of the greatest presidential speeches given in the history of everything. I don't mean just cinema. Like, that presidential speech, <laughs> I consider in the top 10 presidential speeches, period. That that sound you hear is every non-American listener to the podcast screaming at you right now. You d you don't want your to share Independence Day with us? <laughs> it's everybody's Independence Day. Come on, David. <laughs> What more do I need to say? So, uh, the, the, so the funny thing. So the thing is, in, I mean, the you know, in, especially the first half of Independence Day, I have loads of fun with. It is a movie that I enjoy. That I enjoy. I think Roland Emmerich became a more interesting filmmaker once he stopped collaborating with Dean Devlin. But Independence Day is still a movie that I enjoy. The Mummy, as much as I uh, dis dislike that film, the funny thing is I've been uh, planning on doing a, a hate rewatch at some point. So you may actually, I may actually have beaten you to the punch <laughs> on that. So the, the probably the short answer is, oh, uh, is, is that um, I'll likely be watching both in the near future. But you will definitely be hearing from me on the socials when I get, when I get uh, around to The Mummy. Well, I will definitely keep an eye out when you talk about the mummy so that I can uh, flood your mentions with <laughs> corrections. Because I consider both of these movies to be incredibly important to me. I love both of these films. I mean, I've seen the mummy way more than Independence Day. I will just note because 
I fucking love The Mummy. It, it is one of my favorite movies of all time. I understand, David, why you don't like it. And I I do look forward to hopefully maybe eventually getting to have a contentious podcast with you about one of these movies. Yeah. Oh, we could. Well, you know what? We could just do the, you know, the, the, the Dave, is, the Dave, ha- Dave has the wrong hot takes special where I explain why the 1999 <laughs> Mummy, uh, Clue, and Conan the Barbarian are all bad movies. No! Don't you dare come for Conan! <laughs> I was watching Conan the Destroyer last night. I haven't night. seen that one. Which uh, it sounds like I might enjoy more than the first. Maybe because there's less of the slavery stuff in it. It's it's more like just like a it's it's like a Krull. You know you know remember the movie Krull? A little less magic, but kind of like that. It's just it's silly sword and sorcery with a a giant muscle man. Still have to get around to Krull myself. Uh, it's it's on my shelf. It's waiting for me, so I will. Have fun with it. Oh, I'm sure I will, yeah. Oh, by the way, Willow's bad, too, while we're at it. (laughs) No, it's not. You stop. Stop. No more, David. You cannot ruin any more of my childhood. Stop it. Are you going to tell me NeverEnding Story's bad, too? I haven't seen it, so I won't. I know. I'm revealing my gaps here. (laughs) I am starting a petition right now on Change.org called The Education of David. (laughs) Where we make David watch movies that are important to me that I think he should watch. And then, of course, he's going to punish me by making me watch, like, some fucking crazy giallo film. (laughs) Anyway, regardless, uh, I think we've made a podcast. I think we have. So, uh, again, if you have any thoughts on this, go to skiffyfanny.com slash listener suggestions. And you can follow the Skiffy Fanny show on most social media sites. We have a link tree slash skiffyfanny. We're also on, like, Twitter. We're at skiffyfanny on pretty much everything. Uh, you can get the newsletter at skiffingfan.com slash newsletter. And then obviously, if you like what we do, there's the Patreon at patreon.com slash skiffingfanty. And five-star reviews on iTunes and other podcatchers does wonderful things. David, where can folks find you and your things? Uh, they can uh, uh, find me at website davidannandale.com. And uh, socially, I'm most active on Mastodon at davidannandale at horrorhub.club. Uh, me, I'm at seanduke.net. I, I stream on Twitch. Tuesdays and Thursdays at 7 p.m. Central, except during the month of May, because I won't be in country. I'm at Alphabet Streams on Twitch. I do have a Patreon at patreon.com slash thejoyfactory. I'm on most every social as Sean Duke, but there's a link tree slash Sean Duke that you can find all my other social stuff. And then I do a thing called The Histories at seanduke.net slash The Histories, in case you want me to tell your true story about who you really are. And you should do that. You should do that. It's pretty fun. All right, folks. That's kind of it. Like, we we did a... Is there anything else? I I don't think so. I think we're done. I think we can just start uh, singing the song. Eager, eager, eager. Eager. My name is Nani. Anyway. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) All right. And on that note, awkward ending and scene. Bye. If you want to support this show, you can go to patreon.com slash skiffyandfanty or skiffyandfanty.com, our website, where you can get access to all of our fancy things. Our music comes from Holy Mole. You can support him and his work at patreon.com slash holy mole. Thank you for listening.